The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The brain is our personal tool to keep us at our best and realize self-esteem. The mind, body, and immune system work together to help us make the right choices and to reach our purpose and potential. Welcome to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Lindsay and her guests are the go-to experts when it comes to relationships, sexuality, parenting, and wellness. We're here to enlighten and inform you. Now, here is your host, Lindsay Levinson. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson. I'm your host here on Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Welcome to you all. I'm always really grateful for you listeners. You're very loyal. You loyally come and listen each week, or maybe you find the archive, or maybe you just found the show for the first time. This is a community. We are over 50,000 strong with Facebook and Twitter and my website. And I really thank you all so very much for being part of this community. It's, it's a big deal. You know, we face issues that matter, and we address things that are important, and we help each other learn. So thank you. Thanks for caring and being a part of it. Check out Facebook. There is a lot of scoop going on there, and that's just illuminating now, all one word. And Twitter I think we were six people short of 10,000 right before the show. So maybe six people should go follow us, but um, we've hit almost 10,000. And so that's really exciting and lots of great stuff going on. So follow us on Twitter. That's just at sign illuminating now. My website is quality for life coaching. That's four words, no spaces, all one word, qualityforlifecoaching.com. I'm glad to give you a free consultation. I'm glad to talk to you about anything. I'm glad to hear what you want to hear on the show or if you might want to be on the show. So hit me up for sure. And there's lots of stuff on that website. Boy, I mean, the shows are there. The guests are there. uh, We have iTunes. We have so much interactive stuff going on on that website. So check it out. And our guest today, this is a show you're not going to want to miss and you're going to want to stay tuned in for the whole show. So really get yourself comfortable because this is an important subject, an important book, an important guest, and important information for you. You're going to want to hear. Our guest today has written a book, and that book is called Invisible Girl. Invisible Girl. You will want to hear about it, but I want to give you this address. www. Cynthia, spelled just how you would think, with a dash after it, Luce, L-U-C-E, dot com. So I want you to have that address, because that is the author. And before I introduce Cynthia Luce to you, this talented author, let me tell you a little bit about her and her book. Cynthia Luce is a mother. She's a friend. She's a compassionate woman. She's sharing Invisible Girl to inspire you 
to implement change. She wants you to see what's necessary so we can collectively work to help save or alter the path of our youth. What's more important? She's an inspirational speaker and an advocate for change, and changing lives matters very much to her. So again, www.cynthia-luce.com. The book, Invisible Girl. So this book provides narratives of serious problems that are plaguing society today, revealing what happens when children go unseen, when children go unheard and remain invisible. Cynthia Luce opens up an incredibly insightful manner Addressing concerns that destroy our youth and change the path of their future. She takes you on this invaluable and heart-wrenching journey to understand what happens to children. Children who are subjected to being bullied, living in foster homes, living in their own homes, surviving on the streets, abusive situations, and so much more. She shares painful experiences that torment children, often at the hands of adults. And more importantly, she offers solutions. Solutions to prevent negative situations from devastating children or your own life. So really, honestly, is there anything more important than this kind of issue? I mean, this is just so profound. And I got this book, I read this book, I cannot recommended enough that you check it out, Invisible Girl. So I want to be so thankful and welcome you, Cynthia Luce, for taking the time to be on Illuminating Now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. I'm, re- I'm really glad you're here. It's so important to talk about issues that, it's not just an issue that matters, but it's an issue that is Life-changing, as you said, when it comes to the youth of our world, it changes their future based on what their past, you know, what happened. So I want you to tell me a little more about yourself and kind of, you know, your childhood a little bit and just the story behind Invisible Girl. So, you know, your childhood and how was it when you were a little girl in your home? Well, like many other people, I went through a very rough childhood. Um, I went through physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect. Um, I grew up in foster homes, and I did live on the streets. I was a runaway for a while. And consequently, this actually infiltrated into my adulthood to where I wasn't able to make proper decisions for myself because what happened to me became my normal. This was my normal for how I lived my life. And so when I became an adult, I wasn't able to to kind of distinguish what was healthy and what was unhealthy. So I, it really affect my, affected my decision-making in picking partners or, you know, lifestyle choices, you know, as where a lot of kids have their um, parental guidance, you know, where they're guided through the rough parts of their life. I didn't have that advantage or that ability and it really took a long time for me to figure it out, lots of trial and error, before I realized that there was something that needed to be done so that I could live a, you know, a healthy, productive life. So how do you figure that out? I mean, that's a really good statement, and thank you for being honest about what that is, about having to live, you know, such, to go through such tough stuff. 
But how do you ever know? What's the juncture where you actually know that that's not reality, that your reality is not actually reality, and there's something else that should it should look like? It was really hard to distinguish um when you're unhealthy, you gather unhealthy people around you, and their normal is sort of like your normal. So you're kind of having a hard time gauging what is healthy and what's not. But it was really a lot of uh, the pickings of my lifestyle um, and the partners that I had where everything seemed to be repetition. I kept getting the same results over and over and over again. And why am I picking somebody who's beating me up all the time or somebody who's verbally abusing me or somebody who, you know, couldn't care whether I was there or not? It was because it was my normal. This is what I had seen as a child and figured this is the way it was supposed to be. So I had accepted that as part of my life when reality was this, isn't what, this wasn't how it was supposed to be. Right. I think a lot of times, and I, I kind of talk about this too to clients, we get familiar and comfortable with what home is, whatever home, and whether it is really yeah. where your home or whether home just means, you know, um, homeostasis, like what, but we get comfortable with how, whatever way we're treated and familiar. And then we go out in the world and we look for homeostasis, which is the comfort and the familiarity, but it isn't necessarily healthy or happy but we don't actually know the correlation between the two. We just know, you know, if somebody smacks us, we're, we're home, we're familiar, we're comfortable, we've been smacked a lot, so that's okay. But, exactly. <laughs> right? So you experience that. If it was calm or, you know, you know, a docile, normal, then that might make you want to create something or make you have a lot of anxiety around what's going to happen next because drama and chaos and abuse and those kinds of things were part of your childhood. And you're so right about that. The, the chaos, I, I couldn't, I found that I was kind of drawn to the chaos and addicted to it because it was all I knew. And so living that kind of lifestyle really, I mean, it was so normal for me that I didn't, you know, I didn't notice what was going on. And when there was a time of peace or quiet, I was wondering, okay, something's wrong. Uh, what's going to happen next? Or, you know, and I lived on the edge so much as a young adult and a teenager um, because of my childhood that my adulthood was so chaotic and so difficult, and I didn't realize that I, how much control I had over it. And one day it was kind of, kind of out of nowhere where I realized, you know what, this isn't healthy for me, and this is not how I want to raise my children. I don't want them to feel like, you know, that they've got to live with chaos or pain, you know, or the constant anxiety or anger or frustration. So I, really it took a lot for me to wake up and understand that what I was doing and what I was going through wasn't healthy, and I sure as heck didn't want to bestow that upon my children. So I had to reconfigure everything, you know, through the advice of others and other people who had gone through their own issues and really look at my situation for what it was, be honest about it, acknowledge it, and then try to heal. And that's, that's saying a lot because so many people don't get that help or don't really get that grounding, you know, or don't know when to get it or don't know what juncture they even need it because, again, they keep drawing back to that pattern. And, and I so get that, that, yeah, when it's calm, it, it's like the calm before the storm. If it is calm but you grew up with a storm, then the calm before the storm, it's worse. It's like an anxiety attack because, you know, a storm is coming, Right. Isn't exactly. It yeah, you almost would rather have the storm. At least you understand what is how how stormy is it, and what should I do about it, rather than it's coming. 
Yes, and it was more predi- predictable for me. You know, anything that was unpredictable was, was scary for me. And, you know, just to be really candid about it, I mean, if, if it was, you know, through a little time of peace that I did have, I would really worry and stress because I knew something else was coming, and I almost um, willed it to happen. You know, this is being very honest. Um, I, I almost willed it to an existence, and if it wasn't going to happen, I would almost create my own stress for myself. And so I spent a lot of time with anxiety and stress and, and um, depression because of the things that had happened. But that makes so much sense because when it's happening, because when you grew up, this is, this is beginning kind of in your own home, right? This is your own family unit before you're moved to foster care, right? I mean, that's, yeah. why, that's why you get moved. So, so you're, it's ingrained, it's wired into you that you're not safe. I mean, you're, you will have experiences that are painful or cause suffering or are tormenting. So... What else do you think about in your spare time when it's not happening, but, <laughs> right, it's going to happen? What's going to happen? How do I make it not happen? I wonder who it's going to happen to. You know, it's almost you become, you know, looping thoughts, right? They circle around about that, which makes you feel like you're willing it or creating it. Is that how that sort of felt? Yeah, and, and not only that, it was just, it was more than just that. It was also feeling unworthy of anything healthy and good. Because it really beats down your self-esteem, and this is very, like I said, I'm very candid with this, but my self-esteem was so low and so um, not on that, that radar that, you know, anything happened and I accepted it. Right. And I accepted it as part of my life and part of who I was and, and feeling that I was never um, worthy of anything good enough, you know, for me, anything healthy and, and fulfilling. And so I kind of stayed in that black hole for a really long time. And, I mean, when I stayed there, I, I really burrowed myself in there. And occasionally there would be little flecks of light that would come through, and I would be like, I, w- I want a little bit of that, you know. And so a lot of the process was trial and error for me. I would try something new to just you know, just to be healthy in some way in my decision-making. And when I would fail, I'd get defeated, and I'd go back to the drawing board, okay, what do I need to do next? And so it really took a lot of trial and error, too, on my part um, before I had any kind of proper guidance with it. And um, eventually I got it right. <laughs> and it was like, it was like the, the sun shining from behind the clouds, and you're just like, and you want to stay in it, and you want to live there, and you want to you wanna be there you know, present in that moment. And so it really took a lot of learning. And it's not an overnight process. It really is um, a, a soul-searching process, you know, and, and you have to really want it and desire it and, and want something different for yourself in order to make that change. I think that's so true. And again, I give you so much credit for that because, you're, you know, that's, that's super poignant what you're saying. It isn't overnight, you know, because you have you have sort of the angel and the devil. You have the angel saying, this is what I want, this is what I deserve, and the devil saying, oh, come on, you know, you know you're unworthy, get back in your hole, you know. Get. So, I mean, that voice knocks you down, and, and you have to stay with it and, and get the influences around you and the support system that keeps you able to listen to the voices that keep you strong and keep you motivated to find your worth. I mean, it's an effort, it's work, there's nothing easy about it. 
Absolutely not. But nothing worth having is ever easy. So you work at it and you, and you let that desire burn and resonate within you and, and you keep pushing for it and you, and you, and you crave it and you want it so bad. So you make it happen. All of us are capable of making it happen, but we have to really acknowledge the truth of our situation and understand that, you know, this is the truth and right. really want to work forward from that. Right. So for you, you know, you're a little girl and you're growing up. And when do you first tell anybody that something's wrong, even in your home? When do, or, you know, when do you first speak about this to somebody where you feel it, there's an impact or even if there wasn't an impact? You know, when? Do you remember the age? I feel like other people knew something that was going on, but either didn't want to be wrong or couldn't really say anything about it because they weren't really they weren't really a hundred percent sure. But you could tell that there was something wrong by the way that I looked. You know, I was very unkept. I was very um, had a lot of. I was wearing dirty clothes all the time. I was underfed. I was very quiet and shy. I didn't talk much to anybody. But the first time that it was ever told, I was in a foster home. And it wasn't that I told. It was hearing something on the other line where when I, my foster parents were, were listening in on the conversation and heard, overheard what the conversation was about and went and hung up the phone and looked at me and hugged me and told me that everything was going to be okay. Oh, wow. They suspected that something was going on, and I wouldn't say anything because I was too afraid. I was afraid of, you know, all of the threats that had been made, and it, it took somebody picking up and cluing in on to something was wrong because I didn't want to talk to this individual for them to understand that they maybe needed to listen in on the other line and, and see what was going on and do something about it. And that kind of spiraled, you know, everything into another direction to where, you know, um, the social worker, you know, came over and started talking to me and asking me, you know, detailed questions and the police came and it was just, you know, it was one of those things. It was a kind of my saving grace in a sense because wow. I was holding on to that. It was such a burden. You know, I wanted to tell, but I was too afraid and, and, you know, my sister knew what was going on because she had to be a witness to it, but it was so painful and, and I was hiding that secret. I was too afraid. It was so locked up in me. But it was so nice to know that somebody was paying attention enough to to help stop it. Right. I mean, how powerful that somebody's paying attention. All of a sudden, that's that's just really really moving. So 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 we've been a child of the foster care system, and 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 I'm sure there's the you know certainly pluses if you're in it because you couldn't be at home due to certain abuse. What would you say is the most difficult aspect of being a child in foster care? Oh, there's a long list for this one. <laughs> I hope yeah. you're comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. But um, a lot of it is it's very lonely. I mean, even if you have other foster children, you have somebody to relate to, but you know there's a difference between you and, and the foster parents' natural children, and you are treated differently. Um, there are some really excellent foster homes who really care about their children, and there are some that have no business being foster parents because they're in it for the wrong reasons. And for me, it was feeling different, treated differently as the natural ch- children, as a as in, like, less attention, love, affection, those basic needs and necessities of a child, and, and being made to feel different at school and, 
not, just not getting what you need as a child. So you're you're going to kind of get your basic needs met, but you're not getting those other those other things that your soul really needs in order to flourish. You know, and I saw a study with um, babies. I think it was done in Russia, where they they um, had a group of babies, and the ones that were held, they thrived more. And the ones that weren't held didn't really thrive very much. They didn't meet their milestones. And that's kind of what it's like as a foster child. You you kind of need that comfort and that love and that empathy and, and that extra help so that you can become, you know, a healthy, fully functional adult so that you know what love is and you're able to implicate that in your own life. And do you feel like for girls and maybe boys too, it changes sexuality or, you know, you talk about strip clubs or what you need to get feedback. Um, it changes what you'll do to, to see if somebody loves you or thinks you're beautiful or pe- making wrong choices through the journey of trying to understand your identity and your sexuality and all of that stuff based on what you're not getting in your youth. Yeah, that's actually very difficult as well. I mean, you don't get the gui- the guidance that you need, really. And each foster home has their own set of rules and their own sets of religion. And so you're kind of feeling your way around in these homes and looking for that, that comfort and that guidance. And you may not always get it. And for me, what happened with me is I didn't really have much of that. And so my body, because it was so used as a child, I felt like that was my, my, my tool as an adult. And so I, I did join, you know, the strip clubs and 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 danced and didn't realize that I was worth more than that, more, worth more than what I looked like, and, and that became a real um, a real pull down on my soul. It was really uh, a painful experience. I also learned a lot, but it wasn't you know the skills that I felt like I should have had for my adulthood. And how did you come to see that? How did you how because. That's hard to get out of that realm. You, that's a cycle. Once you're in, you know, your, your body or your beauty or dancing or that to, to be so valuable for that, it gets hard to move out of that mindset of how special you are inside without anything to do with your body or your beauty or your looks. You know, how, how, what led you to get grounded in another way of thinking? I'd always felt, you know, there was good parts of me other than the way I looked, but you kind of get used to everybody looking at you as an object. And just to be clear, I never sold myself, but I did dance, and it was very... It was very uncomfortable, and you you have a different view of the people who come in there, and it just really drains on you, and you realize, I hope this isn't, you know, it for the rest of my life. I hope this is not what I'm going to do, you know, forever, and and a lot of people go into that place, uh, girls that work there, have a lot of issues. I mean, that's just, just the cold, hard facts. I mean, they've either been sexually abused, they've been physically abused, or they're in abusive relationships, you know, at the time, and there are, you know... This is the, this is what they feel that they're worth. Nothing more than their looks. Not what they have to offer society with their brain or their education. And and there are some that go in there and they and they're really genuinely trying to work their way through school. But this percentage of that is really small. And for me, it was more of I, I felt this is what my worth was. And there was you know it took a little bit for me to kind of snap out of it. I was tired of being drained and, and, and being cynical and, and not trusting people. You know, I wanted a, a healthier lifestyle. And so with me wanting that, I made the next moves out of that business. Wow. I mean, yeah, sounds like you 
Definitely, you know, there was just kind of an old soul inside of you as you're moving through so much of this and the grounding that you sometimes found for your own self that would be difficult. But was there ever time in your life that you thought this is this was your future? This was all you had? Um about a year into that business, I, I felt like this was it. I'm like, this is all that's going to happen for me. And I felt like, like there was more inside of me, more that I can contribute to the world other than swinging around a pole and being a, a piece of meat dangled in front of a bunch of men who were drooling at the front. But I, I wanted more for myself. And it was self-realization that kind of propelled me to, to do something else, to find another avenue or an outlet for myself that, you know, I, I could have a, a better life, you know, and the money everybody, you know, talks about the money. It's like a vortex. It kind of sucks you in and, and, you, and you think it's great because you're making, you know, X amount of dollars a night, but it's really not worth your soul. It's not worth, uh, um, you know, having those memories and those thoughts of men because there are really good men out there. You know, for me, um, being in that business made me, made me only see the bad side, and what I really wanted to see was the good side. Wow. Uh, that's very profound. That's very profound. We're gonna we're gonna go to break in a little bit, but you know, n- not worth selling your soul. I mean, that's that's a really that's a very profound statement. I want the listeners to just listen closely wherever you are, whatever you're doing, making money, and you know, however you are doing that, if it feels at all. Like it's something in trade for your soul, something you don't believe in, something that doesn't maximize who you really are in this world. You know, then making a buck, there's something that's really stealing your self-esteem at the same time. So we are going to go to break. We're going to touch this subject and expand upon it when we come back. You're listening to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. I am your host, Lindsay Levinson. We have our guest, Cynthia Luce, and she wrote Invisible Girl. We have a short break we're going to take, and you should go Google Invisible Girl and see that book. Check it out. Take a peek at that because I think you're going to want to get that book. So we'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. are tuned in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. To connect with Lindsay or her guest, please call in to the show at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to lindsay244 at sbcglobal.net. That's l-i-n-z-i-244 at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Illuminating Now. Hi, we are back. I am Lindsay Levinson. I'm your host. We're on Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. And we have our special guest today, Cynthia Luce, the talented author, very candid author, who wrote Invisible Girl. Super powerful book, very deep book, very honest book. I read this book, and I really recommend that you get it. She's an advocate for change, and we were talking before we went off to break, and she was talking about, you know, kind of the journey through foster care and, you know, a lot of the hardships and the difficulties of self-esteem and and then just, you know, where you find yourself. She was talking about dancing at a strip club and, you know, her her dancing, her beauty, her body, whatever these things are that become your tools that you use, but at some point you can still feel your soul inside and you know, this isn't this isn't what I want to do. Like I, I can do better. There's a better me, there's a better life. This isn't worth it. And my self-worth is somewhere still inside of there. So we were talking about that. And so you changed that. I guess let me ask you this, Cynthia. 
Are there any advantages? I mean, because you have a past filled with abuse. It's just, it's tr- truly, from my perspective of reading the book, it's torturous. Is there any, are there any advantages to coming from a past filled with abuse? Oh, that's a good question. Um, that's a first for me. The only advantage I would say, if you like to be alone and you're good at pushing away people, that, that's a that's kind of not really an advantage. But you learn to to see people differently. You learn to read them better and know if they're in your life for a good reason or not. And though you you see these reasons, you're not necessarily going to make a good judgment call about it. But um, I did. I do feel a lot stronger and a lot wiser, and I'm able to pass down the knowledge to my children about what the world is like. And I don't always put emphasis on the negative. I like to show the beautiful part of life. You know, I want them to have those advantages of seeing, you know, meeting, you know, wholesome people. But I also do explain that there are certain things out there, and I don't want them to become victim or prey to to somebody else who, you know, wants to hurt or do them wrong. Very, very well said. Very well said. So... You know, because I was thinking about it and I, you know, I can't, I mean, I can't put it under the category of advantages. I don't know, but I'm wondering about forgiveness because this can be such a, such an important thing to learn in life and to go through. And, and, and is that something, do you learn to forgive an abuser ever? Is it something you want to do? Is it something you actually do? Is it something you cannot do? What do you think about forgiveness in connection to horrific abuse that has been put upon you? Forgiveness is usually a difficult subject topic, especially for someone who's been, you know, abused multiple multiple times. However, I do think it's necessary, a tool to learn, is to learn how to forgive. Because I read a really good quote one time. It says, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's how how useless, you know, anger is. And when it comes to forgiveness, I find that, you know, for me, I have forgiven those who have who have hurt me. But I found that letting go of that and understanding that I have control over my life now and that I'm an adult and I am perfectly capable of making my own decisions, I found that letting go of that almost made me weightless. It made me see things in another perspective. And a lot of us don't, you know, we don't want to forgive because we feel that that anger is going to keep, you know, harmful people out of our lives. And that's not true. It's actually more self-destructive to hold on to that anger than it is to let it go. That's really amazing that that you can delineate and decipher that. And I think that is true. And I think a lot of people, like you said, in some ways they hold on to it. You know, they're not ready to let go. Um, in some ways, you know, it's it's about the other person for sure. So they, you know, I work with a lot of people whose answer is, well, they don't deserve it yet. I mean, they, they haven't said they're sorry or they were just too evil. I, I can't forgive them. They don't deserve forgiveness. And, and, you know, just like you said, and I'm glad you said that quote, but, you know, forgiveness is the gift you give yourself. It yes. is. Yeah. It's, 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 they ate up a part of your life. The, whoever these people were, they ate up moments and days and months and whatever of your life. And so the minute that you forgive, then that's the moment you're saying, you can't have any more of my life. I take my exactly. life back. Yeah. And it, it, it isn't contrived, meaning you really can't just forgive. Like, I can't tell a client that I'm seeing as a coach, 
Okay, so go do that. I mean, they, they love yeah. to hear what I say, but they just can't home and get, go home and do it. You know, it, yes. you, ha- you have to arrive there at whatever epiphany, but I really try to give people the foundation to arrive there, which is whenever you wake up and really feel this, r- remember that's the day you're ready to take your life back and they don't get any more of it. And Exactly. So, yeah, so you resonate with that. Yes, and you know it's a process. It's not you know an over other you know another thing that is not overnight. It's something that you have to make peace with yourself and understand that by you being angry and holding on to that, that you're only giving that person power or that person that's hurt you that the power that they need. In some point, you know, having a hand in their life, your life somewhere, and it is a gift for yourself. This isn't about the other person, and it's also understanding that you don't have to allow that person back in your life. And when we choose not to forgive, it's like saying, you know, me not forgiving you is is punishing you. It's not punishing the other person by being angry because it's not doing anything to them. The only the only person that it's doing something to is you. It's only keeping you in that space to relive that pain over and over and over again. And the moment that you do let it go, you'll know because you won't live in that place anymore. That's so true. I heard a quote once, and it said, uh, he who seeks revenge shall should dig two graves. Exactly. So, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're eating up your own life at the same time you're trying to take theirs. So, you know, just get ready for the pain on both sides because, yeah, there's, you're not removing any pain with anger. So I'm, I'm really glad, and, and thank goodness that you really can see that for the sake of you and your children and, you know, generations to come. So in writing this book, do you, is there a story that is like the most heart-wrenching story for you or are they all or are there a few, you know, like, is there something you want to share that I know that you're an advocate for change and I know that we talked on the break a little and I've talked to you prior and You've talked about wanting to really be candid and, and tell the truth and get a, get really into some details that maybe aren't that comfortable for folks, but they help folks tune in and listen closely because it's happening to them. And Perfect. they they need to hear that it happened to someone else for them to be inspired enough to maybe want to make change. So I just want to know if there's any story, you know, of any particular house or person or situation that you can share that is is one of the hardest ones you went through. You know, there are a lot of stories in there of a lot of heartbreak, but I think one that, that gets me the most um, and will probably capture the attention of the readers and, you know, get comfortable because I'm really going to go into the nitty-gritty of this, but um, chronicling my, my, my rape and the theft of my innocence where it was finally snatched from me. And at a point in time where I was really young, I was nine years old, and, you know, having to live with those feelings of shame and the pain that went along with it and, and the questions that I had and what it meant for me. It was a very, very painful time, um, not just emotionally, but physically. And I was very terrified. And for those of the listeners who are listening, if you've ever been through sexual abuse or any kind of rape, you understand exactly where I'm coming from and what it does to you mentally. And it basically tore, tore me up inside out where not only was I confused, you know, and I, I barely had any knowledge of my body, but the fear that went along after it and, and having to go through it multiple times and wondering if this is what my life was going to be and if these were going to be the final steps or if I was going to die. I thought right. for sure I was going to die. Right. And when I... it was taken in the most aggressive 
you know, manner, and I was terrified. But, you know, what? this is, this happens to children on a daily basis everywhere, not just little girls, but little boys, you know, and the, the purpose of writing Invisible Girl is to really bring this forth, the real raw nature of this and what we can do about it. When I read the book, I mean, you know, and I so appreciate you getting into that detail because I can't even tell you. It just truly, it moved me to the core of my being. It truly did. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess humans, you know, we survive. Because as I read it, I just thought, how? How, how does this little girl survive this? How can she um, get through each day? And because it was ongoing. And, yeah, the torture. And you're talking about being confused and shocked and not knowing your body, but also you were in excruciating pain. I mean, you were being, you know, hurt. I mean, really hurt and, and had to deal with just, you know, being in pain in every capacity that a human can be in pain. And um, so, you know, the fact, yeah, survival and what that means. And I, I think that was extremely compelling, as were so many other things. And so, so that's what inspired you then to tell this story. I mean, is that your, you know, what, I'll let you answer. What made you be able to sit down and write this story and re, you know, rethink, remember, and write these things? How could, you know, how did you get the courage to do that? For me, I've uh, been blessed with a very good memory. So these details are very fresh for me. And no matter how old I get, I will always remember. Though the pain isn't the same. I don't, um, I'm, a, I'm a lot stronger. You do develop survival tactics when you go through these. And, and I had quite a few survival tactics when I was going through this. It helped me get through it, you know, so that I wasn't, you know, um, I was always afraid I was going to get, you know, hurt extra if I screamed louder or I cried. But I developed my own way of surviving through these um, these attacks, you know, on my my uh, innocence. And a lot of people will absolutely identify with this. But you know, I I learned I, I had to learn. It was the only way I was going to live and make it through it. You know, and for me, though it was painful, it has made me wiser and stronger and and more visible now as an adult than I ever thought imagined. You know, you can take these painful stories and turn them into something that's more powerful than you can ever imagine. And and being able to reach out and help, you know, others who are going through this, this issue, this topic, a lot of times gets brushed aside from people, you know, because they hear about it so much. But the fact that we hear about it so much says that, that something's going on that needs to be stopped. We need to take a closer look at our children and question them, talk to them, you know, give them our time, our, you know, have them trust us and teach, you know, and trust them as well. And, and really take that time out of our day to, to show them that we care. Because when you choose not to care, when you choose to look the other way, they go through the most horrendous things as adults. And, and no child should ever have to suffer the way I did, or any others for that matter. Amen. Amen to that for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it takes people. It takes brave people who, who will stand up, who will write a book, who will tell the truth, who will tell their story. I think, you know, the greatest thing is the, you know, and I, I, I say this over and over, the credibility of a personal story 
of true pain and suffering. And also some people tell a story of affirmation and celebration, but it's because that's inspiring too. But, but truth in someone's personal story is, you know, really lets others cling to that and say, okay, someone went through that. So then uh, I can, I can listen and see now what to do. So I just so appreciate what I wonder is, you know, sometimes when you go through what you went through and you live this life, it can feel so permanent when you're in it for sure. Like this is your life. What, you know, what would change and you're being victimized and, how do, how do you, because I can hear the strength in you, and it continues to just blow me away, your, your ability to delineate, but how did you break free from viewing yourself as a victim and just, and just leaving it at that, you know, low self-esteem victim and, you know, kind of feeling bad for yourself? How did you break free and, and want to be someone strong and brave and, you know, be, be all your worth? How, do, how did you do that? Once upon a time, there was a person that I had um, in my life uh, that I regarded as a as a friend. But you could tell when somebody has gone through um, different types of abuse; they usually wear it on the outside in their body language, the the lack of eye contact, and the way they look around, the way they don't, you know, address you directly. It's very visible on the outside, and for me, it was extremely visible. And I called it my war paint. With that being said, that kind of made me um, prey to other predators, whether it, you know, be um, partners, you know, uh, boyfriends that I might have had. Um, people actually pick up on that weakness, and it's, it's a really sad fact, but it's very true. And when they pick up on that, they, they, they know how to manipulate someone and, 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 you know, use them to their advantage, and they make them into uh, victims all over again. So I kept attracting um, very weak partners, and, and they kept using those things to their advantage. And at one point, I, I, it was enough. I had had enough. I didn't want to live like that anymore. I didn't want to keep repeating the same cycle over and over again. I did not want to continuously be the victim. So I had to change that. I had to change the way I, you know, had my posture, put my shoulders back, keep my head straight forward instead of looking down because that's what I did. I looked down all the time. I wouldn't look people in the eyes. I had to change those things about me, and I had to gain personal strength. I had to know that, you know, what was inside of me was much more than what I was reflecting on the outside. And that was the change that I made. And I started with little things. You know, I took baby steps. And once I got to the bigger steps, I realized that I had complete control and that I didn't need those other things. You know, so I kind of took the training wheels off and I kind of uh-huh. went free. And, and it was a whole other side of life that I wasn't used to. And it was beautiful, and I really just wanted to stay there. So I kept working harder, and I pushed harder, and I kept asking questions. And I, and I changed my surroundings, and I changed the people that I had in my life. And you'd be surprised. It's really like taking off um, these, these layers and to, to get to, the, to the, the good part, you know. And I did. I started shedding these layers, and I realized that there was so much more in me. And if I, if I could just allow that to show through that I, I would have a, a better life and a better outlook on myself and my self-esteem went up and things changed. And I can't wow. that. That's okay. amazing. I mean, that, that's very inspirational. How has writing this book changed you? How has that made a difference for your life? 
Well, this actually began as a healing tool for me. I, you know, um, I used to like to write in, in a diary, but for me, it was kind of a reflection just to see where I had been and how far I'd come. And I realized that it wasn't about me anymore because I'd already gone through it. You know, I had already lived through it, and, and I had, you know, built up strength. It was more about helping other people because there are several other people, young men and women, who have, you know, walked in, in parts of my shoes, and I've walked in parts of theirs, and it was a way of connecting to other people and kind of reaching out and helping them because we as a society are really falling short and flat in that area. But it was really to help others and to to teach them that there are other ways and that they can, you know, as well, they can be happy as well. They can live great lives too, you know, and, and being that, that catalyst for others so that they can heal themselves as well. That was really um, the big draw for it. So if you were to say, I mean, if you could, you know, offer up something, what are ways people can help children or adults in these situations? Is there something that, you know, you would want to offer as some guidance there? Absolutely. Let me start with our children. Pay attention to your children. If you notice that something's off, ask questions. Build up a trusting bond. A lot of the times children, you know, they, they give off warning signs that something's going on. And because we're so busy as parents working two jobs, and a lot of us are single parents, you know, we don't pay attention as much because we're too busy with our own lives and, and trying to put, you know, food on the table. But we do have to take time. It is our responsibility as parents to sit down and talk with our children, be open with them, you know, find out how their day is going, clue in to their body language. You know, if something seems off, ask more questions. This is the only way we're ever going to be able to help stop what's going on around us. As for adults, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to one another. Show another compassion and love. Show them that you care. That, that, simple, that simple gesture alone could save somebody's life. Wow. So is, are there signs, things that you can look for? And, you know, you talked about how you used to look down kind of when you, but are there things that parents should look for or even teachers or friends, you know, things that you should look for that, you know, be aware if a child is doing this or that are there things that you kind of would say to notice a little more closely and then maybe ask some questions absolutely um for sexual abuse there's a lot of warning signs a lot of children will act out sexually on their peers or their siblings there's a good chance that they might have seen something or experienced something that was inappropriate you know ask questions if you see that if you see that they are unkept or they wet the bed you know uh, Past, I would say, five or six years old, unless they've got a, a bladder issue of some sort, ask questions. Bedwetting is a classic sign of sexual abuse. If you see bruises on a child or they're fearful or they flinch when people come near them, there's a good chance that something's going on at home or even, you know, at school, you know, that you don't want them to be victims of bullying either. Um, but if you pay attention to these warning signs, chances are you might find something. So ask, ask the right questions. And do you feel that the children would get more embarrassed or, in other words, do you, should you act, ask directly, you know, is anything going on? Has anybody been touching you or should you just start asking, are you under any stress? Do you need anything? You know, do you go more general or write pretty specific to, you know, has anyone touched you? 
Is there any sexual issues that, you know, you want to share? Is there a secret someone's making you keep? You know, do you kind of go right to the point when you want to ask these questions? I would say be more specific okay. and, and very candid. And it might be uncomfortable for the child to address, but if you're pretty direct, they'll usually answer the question. And sometimes you kind of have to warm up to them and talk to them a little bit more before you, you know, directly go into asking these questions. But, you know, I find that if you're direct with it, you're going to get a, a more... Um, direct answer from them. Yeah. Where can we get this book? You can get Invisible Girl on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and iTunes. And for a personalized autographed hardback copy, you can visit my website at www.cynthia-luce.com. That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to keep you on. I'm going to close the show. It always flies by too fast. I can't believe... Time's up, but I do want to thank you so much for being on. This is just such important subject matter, and so hang with me while I close it, but thank you, Cynthia. Thank you. It was my pleasure. So today we've talked about a really important, very heavy subject, and Cynthia Luce and her book, Invisible Girl, delves candidly and deeply into abuse, into foster care, into terrors that can happen within one's own home. And Cynthia is an advocate for change. She wants to change lives and for us to pay attention and look closely and ask questions and not punish or judge, but be interested and curious when something looks odd with our children and behaviors are strange or uncomfortable. I read this book. I cannot emphasize enough the power of the stories that Cynthia shares and the honesty she offered in telling her story. Frankly, I was blown away. Please buy this book. She told you where you can get it, and you should just Google it and get it. Lindsay's Life Secret. Here it is. There is cruelty under many of our own roofs, and then there's cruelty in the systems that claim to protect children and adults as well. Is it always the case? No. Is it ever acceptable? No. Change is needed, and an advocate for change is imperative. More than anything, what we all need in this world is wisdom. We need understanding. We need the truth. For Cynthia Luce to write a book like this and offer the truth to the core of her being, for her to share stories that will literally give you a visceral reaction, it took courage. This bravery that she's bringing, it's to serve us all so we can collectively choose to create safety, to reduce and diminish harm, to stand together, to protect rights of children, to protect rights of adults, truly to protect rights of everyone. Abuse is unacceptable. It only takes one person to start a movement. So I say thank you to Cynthia, and I say we can all join that movement. Let's all do this. We can, so we should. Please buy this book, educate yourself, and join in on taking notice of the issue that was discussed here today. Follow us. I've asked you if you'd follow us on Facebook. That's just Illuminating Now. On Twitter, that's at sign Illuminating Now. QualityForLifeCoaching.com is my website, and I have mentioned time and time again that you are busy people. You stop, you listen to this show, it matters, you care, together we create change. Thank you. I offer gratitude. 
I'm your host, Lindsay Levinson. You have been listening to Illuminating Now. Our guest has been inspirational author Cynthia Luce, and I ask you to have a meaningful week. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Please join Lindsay Levinson again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.